History for Fools. Welcome to the History for Fools podcast with the very, very funny and intelligent genius, Butch Escobar. <laughs> Hey, what's up? That's a lot of pressure, man. You're a scholar, bro. <laughs> you got the comedy Bible. Also, man, we'll be selling comedy Bible t-shirts. Not this Katie, man, but that would be dope. If you have an idea for a t-shirt, I was thinking that we should have the comedy Bible right there. And then history for fools. History oh. for fools. And our little notes on the side. Also, if you, this is one segment. Again, we're not experts. We're not guys that are like, we know everything. There's like guys that do that. Oh, you're not a genius? No, I'm not a genius. I'm a stand-up comedian. Um, Self-taught. This is, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. This is uh, our interpretation of what we decided to look up and read. This is History for Fools. This is one subject we're working on now. We're going to have some others on other episodes. Well, okay. When we started the podcast, I was thinking I was chilling one day, and we were on the road, and it was um, Gabby Lamb, Butch Escobar, Martin Rizzo, and um, Rodrigo Torres, and we were all hanging out, and we were, we were talking about comedy in general and stand up comedy, and I and I've been doing stand up comedy for over twenty five years, I think twenty six years now. Wow. And. Um, we were hanging out with a bunch of comics. We've always talked comedy. Everybody talks chop chop, you know, whether you're hating on somebody or you're talking. And these conversations could go on at a Denny's or at a Norm's or or at a Waffle House or in the car on the or way, in the car on yeah. the way home, or somebody's outside the parking lot. These conversations sometimes carry on for four hours or two, and they get really intense. Yeah, and I'm thinking, why not do it in a podcast? Why not do it on a podcast? And share it with our fans or. People who wonder, what do comedians talk about? I mean, we pretty much, when we're not talking about podcasts like this or talking about um, comedy, we're talking bad about comics. And no lie. Yeah, we are. We are. It's fun. <laughs> and, um, and it's always the comedians that are not making it that we talk the bad more about. Right, totally. The ones that are making it, we love you. The ones that are making it, we love you. We can't tell them about you because we want to open for you. Yeah, we want to give work. But it's those comics, you know, that are like... Been doing it as long as we are, you know, and they're like, um, are sore in our eyes. Like, okay, because here he comes, about to do the 15 minutes that kills every time. Yeah. I remember there was a comedian that he would close wearing a thong. Wearing a thong. Yeah. And um, Martin Moreno needed a comedian. And, bro, um, that comedian's over there. Why don't you ask him? He's ready. I'll ask him. And he went to go ask him, and that fool said, "Hold on, bro. Let me go get my thong." <laughs> that's how you. That's how he got ready. Usually, when people come up to me, they're like, "Hey, you ready? You ready? You got five minutes." I'm like, "Up, oh, better get into character." That guy was getting into a thong. So that night, that that comedian put on that thong. There was this crazy girl that wanted to have sex with somebody, and he ended up going to the parking lot in Montebello at Gotham's, formerly Wild Coyote, and Tortillas. So he went in there with a Marine, and that Marine was fully dressed like a Marine, like like, like U.S. Navy. He was wearing the hat. Like the, the dress blues. He, had, he was wearing white. The white oh, he was wearing the white ones. Yeah, and he had the, and he had the coat on That's his like jacket. That's like formal, and he was a Marine? That's like formal. Oh, Army. I'm sorry, oh, he was Navy. U.S. Navy. He was Navy. Navy, okay. My bad. He was U.S. Navy. He was wearing the white suit, you know, the low tail, the hat. Right. And he had that petticoat with him, too. Right. And a beanie. But he had it in his in his chair, so he was invited to go have sex with that girl too. And later on, I saw the comedian run into the car. So what happened, bro? Oh man, we're about to have sex with this girl. Oh, Navy officer over here. This motherfucker takes all his clothes off. <laughs> what do you have? Well, how are you supposed to? Oh yeah, I guess it's in a car. You just whip out what you need. This dude was getting buck naked to have sex. In a car. You don't want to ruin the government issued uniform. Bro. Well, yeah, bro, you can't dis can't disrespect. Our, uh, can't, can't show up to the to the office showing, smelling like a seaman. <laughs> History for fools. We are not. We are. We are, we do not claim to have an authority or a degree in history or anything like that. No, We're just going off what we read and what we heard. Yeah, totally. And that's the thing is that, and, and like you were saying, man, was like we, like, we have a lot of conversations in green rooms. 
and um, a lot of them do, you know, uh, do go uh, like we talk about com- we talk about comedy mostly. We talk about other stuff Styles. as well, but we talk about comedy a lot. And um, and I think it is it's a great idea that we're doing this podcast. So, but again, we're not. These are things that I you know. Felipe approached me and said, let's do this podcast. I said, it's great. And then we, we, we decided, well, what's going to be our first subject that we're going to work on? We talked what about we know. what we know. And um, as we started to dive into this stuff, uh, we started to learn more. Man, I'll tell you, dude. Um, again, I was saying in the last episode, I draw a lot of parallels from back then to now. And at first I was like, okay, I'm going to do a lot of this research and we'll see where it goes. I want to do it for this podcast. Has it helped you with your comedy at all? Like, has it helped you to understand what you are, where you at? Yeah. Is it, does, has any of this research done anything for you? Has it helped me? Has it helped me learn more about the how the past was, and how um, is that pretty much not have not changed? You know? Has no, it really there? hasn't. No. I mean, you know, what? the book the book overall is titled "The Comedians: Drunks, Thieves, Scoundrels, and the History of American Comedy." Drunks, thieves, and scoundrels is. I, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, and I don't mean to offend any of my friends, but that's the perfect way to describe all of us. Um, at one point or another, most of my comedy friends were drunks, thieves, or scoundrels. Now they're comedians who drink. Yeah. Some some people just some people, and I, and and I'm pretty sure that this happened in, in the old days. They would go to comedy clubs. Because that they knew that's the only place where they they could buy drugs and be safe. Right. Some of them would, um, I was reading too that some comics became comedians because they needed a place to chill or crash out. And so they would go to the theaters. If you were a comedian, you go sit in a theater all night and wait to go up. And it was a place for you to also just hang out and not get arrested for vagrancy, which was a thing back then. You think if um, you were a comedian back in those days, you'd be hanging out at Lindy's? Which one was the one under Lindy's? Because Lindy's was the top deli, right? Yeah, in New York, there was a deli where all the big comics showed up and all the big comics. It was called Lindy's. Right, and this is the era that we're about to talk about right now. This is perfect. Because if you were a comedian on the East Coast, back in this time, back in the radio area, that's where we're, now we're getting into the radio subject here. You had to like, you, you would hang out at a certain deli, right? Certain deli or counter um, restaurant, and depending on which one, it was the type of comic that you were. Yeah, here in um, in California, at the same time that that was going on over there, all the actors were hanging out at the Derby. At the Derby here. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of stand-up comedy out here at no, that time. No, no, no. Not that I read. It was mostly on the East Coast. East it Coast. Was, and so you go, and then it was like, what? Was, what, what there was the uh, cant- Cantor's? No, what was Can- the name of the... Not, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking Eddie Cantor. What delis were there? There was... <coughs> there's Jerry's Deli and there's Cantor's, the deli. Okay, that with, is a with deli. A C, yeah. And then there's the stage deli. Yeah. And then what was the biggest one, the top one that we were just talking about? Lindy's. Lindy's. And Lindy's was if you were like the best closer, like the be- the headliner, like, like George Burns, Eddie Cantor, all those guys hung out at Lindy's, right? Yes. And then it was, it was also common for you to go find work there. There was no, nobody performing there. It was just where they hung out, right? Is that what I read? Yeah. I can't remember if they, has, they didn't perform there. Yeah, I, I, I saw a movie once about, um, with Woody Allen, and, uh, and it was based on Woody Allen being a comedy agent that he booked dogs and he booked, booked um, jugglers. And all they did was roast him about how, what a horrible manager and agent he was. He goes, yeah, this guy was horrible, man. This guy won a percentage for callbacks. Right. <laughs> so if you watch um, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, uh, which is a great, I think it's a great show because it it, it, <laughs> it it encapsulates this period of time. But they hang out in the stage deli. Um, stage deli. Which, is, which was like the mid deli. It was the one where like if you were like already an established comedian, you were looking for work. I think that's where you went and hang, hung out. But that, that's a very good depiction of, of how it worked back then, um, according to what I've read, that you would go to this deli, you would hang out. And it's not, and again, this is not different, much different from today where I was just in San Francisco. A lot of the comics will hang out uh, at a bar called, um, never mind, I'm not going to give out the bar name because I don't want people to come and like, hunt us down there. But we all hang out at uh, a bar. And 
Uh, you, it, it, it again, it, it's the same thing. You go and you hang out. Someone will go, oh, hey, Butch, what's up, man? How's it going? Oh, cool, man. Blah, blah. Hey, man, I got a show every uh, Wednesday. Do you want to come do my show? And that's that's how that's kind of the, still how it's the done. The deli will, will basically is what the what a barber shop is for construction workers. Right. You go there, you find work. Right. And this is just for like small time comics. I mean, obviously, even back then, you had an agent that got you work. Now, like you have an agent that gets you work. Yeah. But when um, I didn't have an agent, I had to make phone calls. Right. Are you? Did you get gigs when you would hang out at places? Like, I, would get, I would hang out at gigs or wait for somebody not to show up. Then I will get the file out. Nice, and that's kind of what uh, happened too back then. That's funny, man. I don't know if we're going to get to that yet, but um, I guess when we talk about Lenny Bruce, I'll mention it, that Lenny, when Lenny Bruce was getting arrested for, um, for saying bad words and um, messing around with those laws where you couldn't say bad words, there was and a de comedian. Decency laws. Huh? Decency laws. The, when he was breaking the decency laws, there was a comedian... I will follow him to the gig and wait for him to get arrested and take the gig. Right, yeah. Yeah, he had a... I don't know if he had hired the, the guy or the guy just on his own volition. I used to, I used to follow Willie Barcena. <laughs> I used to follow Willie, wait till he got in a fight, and then I would take his show. <laughs> just an example. <laughs> so radio comes along. Radio takes out uh, vaudeville. And then you got a guy named Eddie Cantor, who is... Um, an, a former vaudevillian who was in the Ziegfeld Follies, who had really, really um, uh, done a lot during the vaudevillian days and had a clean crossover. And then radio, again, we were saying on the last episode was paying a lot. Um, he got about $100 a minute to do about a five-minute monologue. And, and this is also around the same time that... How much a minute? $100 a minute. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, right? But think about this, man. Um, it was still sad. That's the that's that's part of being a comedian. There wasn't a problem so much with decency during the vaudevillian days um, because it was the era that we were living in. And, you know, and it was, and, and it was, uh, <clears throat> it, it was cracked down a lot on back then already. Like, already, like, like we, like we weren't as, as advanced. Now you get into the radio days. And it's new territory for all these guys. You have sponsors that are paying thousands of dollars. Lucky Strike, Paul Mall, uh, Philip Morris, Jello, all these companies that are now paying tons of money for radio spots on these radio shows. You got like Jack Benny, you got Eddie Cantor. Um, it's was... funny how um, like these comedians are like a comedian, right? When you become a product, like back then, like you become the the face of the product, right? Because now. You watch a television show, and the show is called Jerry Seinfeld. Or the show is called um, Welcome Back, Carter, right. or Carl Rosan. Back then, the show was titled Welcome to the Texaco Show. Right, or the Lucky Strike Hour. Welcome or... to the Lucky Strike Hour with Bob Hope. Right, and, and then it was called... I remember my son loved listening to old Gunsmoke episodes when he was a little younger. <laughs> and it was the... Gunsmoke, it was the Lucky Strike, Gunsmoke Hour. And, you know, and it's funny because tobacco did a lot of advertising. Lot. And, and, uh, I, I, who started television? Marlboros. Is that true? No, oh, that. I was going to say, man. I mean, it's like history for fools. It's like the fucking Santa Claus thing. That's an actual history for fools right there. Like who invented Santa Claus? It was Coca Cola. Coca Cola. So I wouldn't put it past that, 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 and, and that that came around. I'm pretty sure television advanced faster because we're going to talk about radio right now um and actually we're going to talk about radio and nightclubs because rko right rko was one of the bigger ones that paid cbs cbs was and one NBC. of the ones nbc and these were all on the east coast by the way these not weren't these weren't on this side of the coast yet because comedy Did, wasn't that prolific yet over here any of these theaters break into radio and i say you know what i'm gonna buy me a radio station right Oh, did, did they, you? Did they ever do it? No, that? no, they never did anything like that. They were trying to trounce radio. They were trying to say radio is bad for you. You can get cancer from the airwaves or the the the, the battery acid leaks from the General Electric radios causing fires. There was only like a handful of fires that happened from the first radio modules that first came How out. How dangerous was the bin back then, bro? To tell somebody, listen, that cord for that radio is made out of. It's made out of um, cotton, by the way. There's little wires on it, but it's all wrapped with cloth. 
Because back then, wires were not wrapped in plastic like no. they are now. They would have a wire, and they'll wrap an actual rope on it. Right. And plug it well, in. Well, I remember my, gra- my grandmother had an iron that still had a that? cloth like a cloth uh, wrapping. So that's why when you watch a cartoon and you see um, a, an iron burn, it will burn like a little trigger all the way to the top. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, because no he, way. If it, catches, was, uh, if it be... catches on fire, it's gonna go like a thread. You right? Know, burn all the yeah, it's like an explosion, like a bomb. It'll burn the iron pump. The uh, irony. But so, oh my god. So the. Um, what about duck? The uh, the radio had the radio advertisements. We're paying a lot of money, and, and that's, that's where taglines came in, huh? Yes, that's where taglines came in. That's where you started to like come up with phrases for stuff. And this was starting to cause controversy during the radio time because uh, I think it was um, it was Canada Dry was one of the first to offer um, uh, recycling programs where if you brought in uh, a certain amount of bottles, you would get a certain amount of money. And it was Fred Allen who was being sponsored by Canada Dry. And he wasn't happy about it. So he started to, here we go. I just bought a six pack of Canada Dry. I'll get 20 cents when I'm done. And Canada Dry didn't like that he was mocking the recycling program. So they would cancel him. And it happened all the time where there was conflicts between the comedians and the sponsors because the sponsors wanted them to say something stupid and the comics weren't. Yeah, that, that has not changed because there was, you can look, you got Google it. And if I'm wrong, it's called this podcast called History for Fools. Um, Jay Leno was told by some by the networks to stop doing jokes about Amtrak. Really? Yeah. On on the Tonight Show. Yeah. Because it was killing. Yeah, making him look bad. It was making him look bad. Maybe charging Plus, it's more a, it's a for ride. Entity. It is a government entity. Yeah. But maybe charging more for fucking train rides than plane flights is what's fucking you over. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm just a guy who travels. But radio back then um, was uh, kind of uncharted territory for these guys. And you guys, and you had guys like Eddie Cantor who first came in and was getting paid a lot of money and having these shows and he was kind of a jerk. And then he got taken down for a while. Um, and then there was Joe Penna who came up for a couple of years and then he got taken down for a while. Um, and, and there was, uh, and then, and then, and then we get to a, a period where we come upon a radio show where radio shows are the normal. This is before TV. And so you have all these episodes, you have Gunsmoke, you have Amos and Nandy. And that's what we're getting at right now. Amos and Andy. Amos and Andy was a, was a sit, was the, was the first actual sitcom on a, on a radio station. And it was about two black dudes, but they were all boys. Which but the characters were white. They were boy, voice, and it went to TV, and then by then it had been black guys. But check this out. But it was voiced by white so dudes. So many people complain about them being white, and then they sw- and then they switched when it went to television. They made them black, and nobody watched it. Right, Not even black people watched it. Right, and the show got canceled, but the radio show. Kept playing. Did you ever hear any of the um, Amos and Andy? Did you ever like, if you go on YouTube, you could like type in Amos and Andy and they have a couple of the episodes. What does it sound like? Awful. Oh my God. Like, it, like, it, like. What are you talking about, sir? I can only imagine. Like, like that? See, yes. Exactly. Like that, huh? How's about it? Where's you going at, my friend? You know, stuff like that. How's about I borrow a $5 from you? Uh, what People are you- spoke so loud that like they have ears back then. Huh? Yeah, dude. It was really different time. I mean, cause, cause I'll we, buy that for a dollar. Yep. We struggle with racism to this day, right? And And, 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 and I'm not trying to say that. You know we have it. We have it easier. We have it good, but um, you know we do struggle with racism still. We still have a lot of problems with media and with trying, like you know, trying to get work. And, and I mean, me and you have a lot of these discussions about the lack of our own representation in clubs. But could you imagine being in a time where it was straight up in your face, like, oh no, bro, you're Mexican. We can't hire you. Get the fuck out of here, you dude. You're a brown guy. No, we don't. Like, there's another guy on the side of town who's going to pay you less, and he'll do that Bro, for you. Bro, my name is not Gerardo Hernandez. It's Jerry Hearn. That's what you had to do. You had to change your name. Yeah. Even the Jewish performers couldn't be full Jewish. 
You couldn't be Bob Eisen. Right. Well, Henny Youngman did that. He changed his name to make it seem more. Or Bob Eisen's dad. Who did radio too? Einstein. You're talking about the Einsteins? Yeah, Bob Einstein. Okay, and that's where we're, we're coming he, he, upon as well. Say, you, you couldn't be called Bob Einstein. No, man. He's Crazy Dave. Yeah, he was. Um, and then what's the other brother was um, Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks was actually Albert Einstein. Super Dave. Super Dave. That's right. Crazy Super Dave. Super Dave. Crazy Dave. We're not experts. We're not experts. <laughs> Thank you, um, Knowledge in the Sky. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing, man, is like uh, radio had a lot to do with where we're at now. And and that's a lot like a lot of the comics that were working in vaudeville, like you got like George Burns, um, Jack Benny, um, Man, I'm trying to remember some of the names here. Eddie Cantor. Uh, the Marx Brothers. The Marx Brothers all transferred from vaudeville to radio. Money was coming through. Stand-up was, was a big deal. But you're also talking about a transition as well from like the show guys that were like, hey, did you hear about the guy that did this? Did you hear about the guy that did that? Uh, there, there's a, the, my neighbor the other day had a baby, and it was ugly, you know? Yes, everything was, it was all the comedy back then before stand-up comedy was third party. It was all like third nobody, party. Nobody said, like I would, like I have a joke. I said, you know, like so last night, I went out with this woman and she said, I'll sleep over your house, but we can't have no sex. And I said, all right, tomorrow morning we have breakfast. You can't eat no food. But back then they would tell a joke like, I saw a friend of mine. Right. Then somebody would yell out, "What friend?" Right. Tom. <laughs> and then Tom will be like the 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 name of all his stories. Tom Cat. Right. And every like, yeah, so Tom. That's when I was this woman, and this woman said, "You know, the woman was from high This woman was from high society, and she said, "We cannot have sex. Well, I'll have dinner, but we can't have sex." So he said he returned a favor by saying. <laughs> We'll have breakfast. You can't have no food. Gazing. <laughs> Shabadoo. Shabadoo. You want to buy a duck? I want to buy a duck. And that guy, there were so many taglines for radio, huh? Yeah, if you look up want to buy a duck, that's a guy named Joe Penna. And that's not changed because now when you see radio, a lot of the radio commercials are taken from the old radio shows. Yeah, like, the jingles came from the that And the jingles time. Yeah. and the one-liners that stick to your head like, dump the kid, Larry. Yes, yeah. That's probably a comedy tagline from the old days. Well, Wanted by a Duck was a guy named Joe Penna. And he and and uh, he came up with these weird taglines. And it took for like two years, man. People were walking around saying, Wanted by a Duck. And then there was a song called, Could You Do the Ducky Walk? And stuff like that. Quack, quack, quack. And then all of a sudden, society just said, this fucking guy's annoying. And we're done with him. And within two years, he was canceled. And it, and, it, and it wasn't until a comedian came around later on named ha Hamburger. Hamburger. And he, he, this guy does, after every joke, he says, Hamburger. That's right. And that, by the way, that's, um, that's um, Norm MacDonald's favorite comedian. Is it really? Yeah, he said it one time. It was Hamburger. Alonzo, Alonzo Hamburger Joe's. Thank you. Knowledge in the sky. Knowledge in the sky, bro. I love it. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of taglines. Funny because I was used to make fun of a guy who used to say "boy stop" after every time he did a joke. So, um, Hamburger Alonzo Hamburger Jones, he does bits in a style of those days. He'll he'll be like something like this, like like that, like he'll, like he'll the, the it'll be a, a sexual innuendo joke, which was against the rules back then. He'll be like this. So this girl went down on me and started eating the hamburger. <laughs> and I gave her the extra sauce because she wanted her way. But I told her, honey, this ain't Burger King. You're going to have it my way. That is a very good interpretation of what happened back then and how they did it because yeah. you couldn't be dirty and then they struggled a lot because there was a time where like they were able to do whatever they wanted because there wasn't a lot of uh, restrictions. Or how about this one? If you're here, your wife is, uh-oh. Nice. <laughs> that was the punchline. They would do that For shit. Radio. And that was the thing too, man, is that uh -oh. there was a lot of that 
And then what started to happen is there's this transition of like these show types. Now you have like all these people who are characters, like take my wife, you know, like please. <laughs> and, and you have all these guys that are characters. You have um, all these women that were characters. And then now you have guys that are just showing up into these cafes. Thomas Lone, what is with, he, a banker? With, um, with black ties, suit, and they're just talking about themselves and they're talking about their, li their lives. This is also around the time that there was prohibition. So the, there's, there's no more alcohol and club going. There's no, there's no like going out and watching a show. <laughs> so in order to do that, you had to go to a speakeasy. Now all the speakeasies were owned by the mob. And this is where kind of like before stand-up comedy was called stand-up comedy, we were just called monologists. Monologists. Or um, what was it? Solo acts. They would also oh, call solo it. acts. And so um, at this time that uh, the mob is running all these speakeasies, all these places that's hard to get into. In order to get into them, you need to be a stand-up person is what they would call you. So like if you were like a stand-up guy, like... You know, that fucking Felipe, he's a very, very trustworthy guy. He's a stand-up guy. E. And so if you had a comic coming in to work the club that night, to, you know, to clear him, to make sure he was, he was able to work, it was... It, um, and again, this is a theory. Uh, even in the book, the guy says, this isn't 100% ironclad, that yeah. this is where the term came from. But nobody could pin down where the term stand-up comedy came from. And this is the best explanation of that. You know what? what um, also that... Um, I'm not mentioning that book, but it's a fact that Prohibition brought in was the first time you saw an integrated club. Because before, all these clubs were all white or they were all black. Right. But during Prohibition, since the, the, most of the clubs were closed, a lot of these clubs were allowed black acts in front of white people. Right. And they were, and they were letting white and black people in. Right. If you had the money. Right. If you had the money. If you had the money. So Prohibition, even though it was bootleg alcohol... It also, there was a lot of, it integrated entertainment in the clubs. Right. Yeah, because you had a lot of black entertainers. Because you had black singers, you had black comedians. You had Latin singers and Latin comedians. You know, this is the, the whole Desi Arnaz thing. You know, when you look at, like, when you watch Lucille Ball, he worked in a club. He worked in a nightclub. I think this is post- um, his club is post-prohibition. Uh, but that's what the, that's that was the model of the speakeasies at the time. Big bands, a performer, you had an MC, and this is where our job comes in as a comedian. We were MCs, and this is still at the time when you didn't go just see one comedian. You didn't go to a, a even a, a speakeasy show and just watch one guy perform comedy. It was like, it was still kind of vaudevillian, but it was like dancers and singers, and then your, your, your MC was the comedian. But no matter what you you saw, it, it always it, it looks like they were just trying to sell you something, right? Because every it, it, it didn't like now like like just say there was a um, Bob Hope had a two hour gap. You are now listening to the the Coca Cola Hour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's you know, and, and at that time you know we had uh, Amos and Andy and now that's what I was talking about with people who are on social media or who are on the internet. I don't want these ads in my face. Where else do you want them? Where do you want them? Where do you want them? You, you, want, you want social media for free. It's going to cost you something. Right. Well, and that was the beauty of, of TV, radio, was advertising. And we want to say the beauty of it, but it was also our curse as comedians because we were told what to say. And this is around the time that, like, censoring came in. And um, as, we, as we go back um, to, like, Amos and Andy and the controversy about all that, it had been, it had been so controversial, and and uh, at some point, our country got sick of it. World War II had happened. Hitler had come around. There was a lot of sensitivity about racism and stuff like that. So Amos and as Amos and Andy fell, we were seeing new genres, um, <clears throat> like uh, the Jack Benny Show, and the Jack Benny Show is what brought about integration. Jack Benny had a co-star named uh, Eddie Anderson, and he was black. And it wasn't necessarily considered a co-star. He was his valet driver or something. I can't remember what the character he played. But they off they they offset each other. They 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 bounced off of each other, and they were considered they were they were a comedy duo. But but back in those times, you couldn't say that 
a white man and a black man were performing. But Jack Benny was kind of one of the first guys to break that mold of like, I'm bringing a black guy onto my show. If you have a fucking problem with it, fuck off. Yeah. And and that kind of was the clap back to uh, Amos and Andy from Jack Benny. And then that's what made Jack Benny a huge star, man. Like Jack Benny was one of those guys that spent all uh, vaudeville radio TV. Doing mad comedy, huh? Doing lots of comedy, man, writing lots of stuff. But he also brought in a lot of guys. Jack Benny was responsible for a, a ton of um, of people. He also inspired guys like Bob Newhart and Albert Brooks. Hey, when, when they were on, when these, these comedians were performing these comedy shows on radio, it wasn't like, like vaudeville when you could do the same material every week. So they were burning material left and right, huh? So they have to hire a, a, a shitload of writers, right? Right. And that's what Jack Benny did. He hired George Burns, Gracie Allen. Um, uh, let's see. Who else did he have that he... he um, Milton Burl was another guy that he had. So all those guys wrote for Jack Benny. So when you think of Jack, like, when you think of, because me and you think of Milton Berle or George Burns as these old fogies that yeah. just smoked cigars and stood in one place. But these guys were young, budding writers at the time of radio. And, and they were just about to branch out on their own as stand-ups. And if you did radio back then, you were killing it as a stand-up. Man, if you did radio back then and they heard of you, you're making tons of money on the road, huh? Tons of money. And that's where... Mad money. And that's where comedy did span so all those radios all those networks were on the east coast but those comics were coming out this way and 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 traveling and touring a lot and now we're getting into uh a little bit more linear train travel a little bit more linear bus travel i think planes are starting to enter into um um traveling is at this time as well so comics are starting to boom. It's a kind of a mini comedy boom. Like we talk about the comedy boom in the 80s and we talk about the comedy boom now, but I would say radio brought around a massive comedy boom that we don't even talk about. Because that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, People man. Make it to make 2000 a week in 1920s. Well, let's say you're the hottest comic. You're Felipe Esparza, you're the hottest comic in 1925. Okay, and I'm offering you ten dollars a week to do a show to do our our vaudeville show. That's a fuck ton of money for someone. You could take care of your family. You could buy a home with ten dollars a week. B but fast forward to oh, 1927, a hundred dollars a week by the three stooges. You're making way more than that with radio. You're making fucking thousands of dollars. Like some of these guys, and I'm talking like like um, when by the time. Um, George Burns had his own show. Those guys, and I think even Jack Benny was making upwards of $50,000, $60,000 a year. Some of them were making 100000 a year. Like, the money that was just coming through from um, advertisement was nuts. How about when um, when George Burns and Jack Benny, when they were, they were, they were going to cancel them, bro, because they, 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 they bought that stolen... Oh, are you talking about when they got arrested? Yeah. Because Jack Benny, was wife, was showing off her diamond necklace. They were, they were at a party with, a, with another... Gracie with Allen. Gracie Allen was showing off her necklace to Jack Benny's wife. They were at a party, and um, there was another guy there who had a necklace, and they wanted to buy it. I'll sell you this one. Right. And that guy was going to get another one. They were both stolen. Right. And they were being tracked by the FBI at that moment. And so Jack Benny and... George Burns were arrested. They try to like shame them and kill their careers. Right. They, they, they thought it was going to be over for them. Yeah, a lot of people thought because it was really bad for them. It was. It didn't. They were. They were released, and I don't think they paid a lot of money. I think it was like a week's worth of salary is what they ended up paying for their fines. But again, man, you know, can you imagine back then if you stole, if you bought stolen jewelry, you were a societal pariah. We're like, now people are like, oh, yeah, Felipe Esparza, fuck that guy, dude. He bought a stolen wedding ring the other day. Like, it's not going to... I don't know. The guy had 10 of them. <laughs> Fell off a truck. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the radio had developed these guys into huge acts. At the same time, they're touring. And then, boom, prohibition comes around. Shuts everything down. Comics can't work in these huge cabarets anymore, in these huge clubs. They start to go underground. And then, again, this is a huge shaping for stand-up com comedians. 
because we're working these clubs now and now we're not being censored. And the fact that we're not being censored allows us to work blue. And that brings about guys like Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Like now we're getting into that era of people that are not being censored by what they say anymore. And when we were talking about decency laws earlier, um, now we're talking about people getting arrested, going to jail for just their work. You gotta words. have a license now to perform. You have to have a cabaret license to perform. Fuck off. You have to have a license to perform in could, every state that you worked in back you think then. Somebody could enforce that again. One no. Day? No. I mean, maybe you know. You know, in California, <laughs> every club, if it's a dance club. It's a dance club. Right. But you can't have a person on a microphone unless you still get the cabaret license. Really? Yeah. And where in California? Because um, there, there was a club called Dublin's and um, Jay Davis, the comedian. Okay. He had a, a hottest room in Hollywood on Tuesday nights and it was bigger than the other clubs, bro. It was free to get in. It was jam-packed with college kids. And they kept warning the club, listen, man, you're a bar with pool tables in your dance hall. You guys keep having karaoke, you keep having comedy, we're gonna shut you down. They, they ignored it, ignored it, bro. And the person, that place was every, when, even Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were the craziest nights. Can you believe that? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, Monday Night Football, then Tuesday, Margarita, and Wednesday, Tuesday was the comedy. And oh, was yeah. And they, they, they shut them down. Shut them down. Yeah. No, like, I remember when a lot I, of bad things happened, but eventually that was the main one. I remember working in San Jose at the time I was running a bar. And when I first started working at that bar, it was $3,000 to have your cabaret license because we would have bands. Five years later, six years later, after I left that bar, it went up to $30,000. I used to perform at a comedy club, at a club. It was for comedy. It was called the Liquid Lounge in Long Beach. Okay. And it was run by a, guy, a comedian. They call him Cochino. And that club had a had no a license just for a bar. Okay. And for um com for comedy, I guess they got the cabaret, license, but they didn't have a dancing. Well, bar. that's the difference though between now and then. Back then, you would have to get your cabaret license. Yeah, and so yeah, and you would have to walk around with your cabaret license. Yep. And if you got stopped, so now the club needs it. Now so it's just the clubs. This club had the cabaret license because they had bands perform, but they didn't have the one. They didn't have the license. That allows you to have people dancing there. So Lisa and I, my wife, we were um, dancing when the DJ was playing his music. Security guard showed up. Oh, excuse me, you can't dance. For I thought I was in 1920s. Get bro, the fuck out of here, bro. Please, no dance. No dancing. So. Wait a minute. No dancing at all, period. No dancing. Like, you can't even like jig around. No like, jiggle around at your... cocksucker. Wow. No fucking dancing. <laughs> Did you hear me the first time, motherfucker? Not a, not a he or a ha. <laughs> so, I didn't notice because we were both dancing, getting all freaky, dirty dancing and shit. Right. And I was. And they, they tap us on the shoulders. It goes, oh, sorry, man, I know her. And then he goes, um, no, sir, no, no dancing. And when we when we sat back in our... <laughs> I like that your first response was, hey, bro, I know her. Back off. Yeah, yeah so, we're, so we went back to our stools. And the DJ kept jamming, bro. How are you going to have the best DJ in Long Beach and not allow dancing? He was killing it and you couldn't dance. Oh, he was killing it, dog. My boss is on Broadway. Girl. Wait a minute. I don't understand how you can have... Just what's the point of it then? So um, Was the place packed? <laughs> packed, that dude. So what we do... Well, everybody was dancing on their stool like this. Yeah, I bet, dude. At what point do you lose your mind and just fucking say, yeah. fuck it? Like you get rushed. Everybody just rushed the bouncer and make it a. So a lot of these clubs with the Disney laws, they'll be they'll threaten them since they they can't go out to the comic. They'll tell them, "Listen, man, if you guys book Joe Diaz again, we're gonna shut down the Hall Cafe. We're gonna shut you down." Yeah. And so it made it, it put it in the hands of the club owners to not hire comedians. And this is a, a fact because I was talking to Kyleen. Uh, I think her last name is Warshoff. Warshoff, she's the owner of the San Antonio River Center Comedy Club, and the owner of, of um, Laugh Out Loud Comedy Club in San Antonio was her husband Bruce. 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 
I know his last. Carleen Barshoff and Bruce Barshoff. And um, she was telling me that she had booked Doug Stanhope okay. to do a show, right? And Doug Stanhope was a, was a wild man back then. It was before Doug Stanhope wore those um, clown suits and shit he wears now. You know, those, those real bright suits. Yeah, shit, totally. Like, 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 like the mask. Like, like, he looks like a sad clown without his like, he like ma- mask makeup. Yeah. Shit. Like, he was wearing those pimp suits before. He was just like me, you know? Hat, shoes, denim jacket. Right. But Colleen told me that Doug Stanhope had a, had a thing where he would take all his fucking clothes off, bro. He would get naked. Yeah. Like Bobby Lee or yeah. like completely buck naked? Buck naked. Buck naked clothes. So, so the, he did it once. He was warned. He did it again. And then they, they finally warned her. They said, listen, man, we're going to shut you guys down. You're not, you don't have a license for burlesque. Wow. Really? They brought that back. They we fucking about, went to shut him down. Remember we talked about the burlesque show? Right. This and is the, in the last episode. Well, they told Colleen from the San Antonio River Center Comedy Club, you don't have a license for that. So if you need to warn him. So the manager warned Doug Stanhope, and they said, um, listen, man, you can't be taking your clothes off. You know, you, I know you could, if, you, if you do that in California, they'll probably have a license for that. But over here, we're in Texas. This is the conservative people. People complain. Dr- oh, yeah, it's Texas. Because yeah, I was going to so- say, what draws the line? Because when I was in Sacramento, I worked with Bobby Lee. He didn't get buck naked. But every night, his closer is he takes... Back then, his closer was to take his pants off. His, and he had, like, these underwears that showed his butt cheeks just popped out. Yeah. And then he would rub them on somebody or something. But, I, like, I, I never even thought of that at that time. So they, they, they warned Doug Stanhope. And then... this. The manager, the owner of the club, she's writing my, she was paying me off for the week, so she's having a conversation. Right. She's a beautiful woman. She likes talking, you know. She has, she has a shitload of stories. She said, so, I went to sleep, you know, okay, nothing happened. I didn't get a call, a warning. So then I woke, I wake up in my phone, and I have like 30 messages. Some of them are from the people at the club. Oh, no. And they go, What happened? <laughs> Did, did Doug Stanhope get drunk and take his clothes off? He goes, no. But he brought people on stage and they took their clothes off. Oh, no. <laughs> so, he, so he proxied other people to do his bit, his last bit for him. Fucking hilarious. Doug that's Stanhope. That's how a comedian gets away with it, eh? That's how we're always going to get away with it. You can't tell a comedian not to do something. I had a con- We'll find a way to do it. I had a guy tell me, he goes, listen, we don't curse on our shows. And I go, well, you hired me. I curse. And he goes, can you do me a favor and say, don't say fuck. Just don't say fuck. So instead of fuck, <laughs> I use shit. Like I doubled up on my shits. And he was pissed. He was so pissed. But it's like, don't tell me not to do what I do. I'll find a fucking way around it. And I think that's kind of what we did. That's what we've done. This whole book is about stuff like that, where we just find ways around things to be what we want to be. Like I remember I had this one gig, and um, the guy who, not the, not the guy who booked me, but the guy that um, is the boss of the guy who booked me, Right. he wanted to have a little dinner with me and talk about the show and what it is about. I told my agent... Tell him I said, no, I don't want to hang out with him. Yeah, <laughs> I'm goes, good, bro. He goes, why not? Tell him I'm going to be tired from the flight, and I need to get in and go over my one-hour set so it will be right. Because I knew, I knew what this fool going to sit down. He's going to sit down and talk to me about He's going to tell me this. You know, at this show, there's going to be a lot of conservative people, a lot of old people. There's going to be a lot of people there with their kids. You know, I, don't, I know you perform at that, the clubs, but it is not a comedy club. So, bro, I don't want to hear that from him. Right. Because they, they obviously hired me because they know what I do already. Right. They That's what I don't understand. For, they didn't hire me for stuff I don't do. Right. So why am I going to do something different? You know, one of my favorite stories that I tell all the time, and this is like sometimes it's advice that I give to newer comics. That especially when you're confronted with the, hey, you need to be clean, you need to be clean. Do you remember when we worked in Visalia together? Yeah. 
And this is my first big gig ever. This is the first big fucking huge gig I've ever done in my entire life. It was like when they bam stammed you. It was yes, they bam stammed me. Yeah, that's a good way. Yeah, bam stammed. Bam stammed. And so he so he calls me up and he goes, Hey Mijo, uh, my name's Leonard and I'm gonna have you come out and do comedy. Um Felipe Esparza asked if you could come out. I just wanna check in, make sure you're clean. Are you a clean comic? And at the time I was able to do a little bit of clean work so i was like yeah i'm clean he called me every fucking week till the show started to make sure i was clean and then we did the show and i maybe said shit a couple times but i got away with a pretty clean set the next day we're in the parking lot and i'm like hey man what's the deal with this guy and he said that someone had told him bam sam had told him that i was a dirty comic and that he had and that he was freaked out but oh that's what it was because he would go hey mijo uh, you're gonna be clean. I don't want you going Joey Diaz on me. Like I don't want you to go Joey Diaz. That's on me. Rock <laughs> So you told me this story. I don't know if you remember, but he, I go, why does he keep bringing up Joey Diaz? And he, he said that because Joey Diaz, he would call Joey Diaz and do the same thing. And Joey was like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be clean. I'm gonna be clean. I'm gonna be clean. And then he gets there the day of the show, gets on stage, and he's like, what's up, cocksuckers? Fuck Leonard. Let's fucking do this. And it's my favorite, <laughs> it's my favorite story. And I remember asking Joey about it when I was doing runs with him, like years later. And I go, hey, I, I heard the story. He goes, let me tell you something, cocksucker. Someone asks you to be clean, to do their show. They're not going to have you on anyway if you say no. So you might as well go ahead and yeah. fucking do the show once. Get paid. Get your money. Get the fuck out of there. And that has always been my favorite shit about. That's funny, man, because um, I did a show at the Steven Steakhouse. And, and, like, it's all family members, you know. And Jerry Bednob opened up with. I was, I was, I was Jerry Bednob, comedian, 40-year-old virgin. He goes, I was talking to the um, promoter, and he told me to be clean. And then I saw a priest here. And I asked him, you have a problem with the word fuck? He said, fuck no. <laughs> Here's one of my favorite stories about this, before we get back on track. Me and Willie are doing Reno. And this actually, this got me kicked out of Reno for a while. <clears throat> so uh, this is when I first meet Willie Barcena. We get into town. Uh, we first we don't get along, but we get along. We start to make friends. This is the last show. This is the Booker's baby. It's at this place called Boomtown, and and this you guy there, this guy's making tons of money off this thing, and so he makes sure like he sits us both down and makes sure that we're clean. And as he leaves, Willie pulls me aside and he goes, "This motherfucker being real about being clean." And this is the same guy I said that would hire me to be clean, but then he would hire two bringers to be dirty. So we'll just say the guy's name is Wayne for right now. Um, so he- Not so, Wayne Jenkins. No, not Wayne Jenkins. <laughs> so Willie, so I do my set, I, and Willie's like, if you do dirty, I'll do dirty. So I did dirty. So Willie goes up. I know that guy, his name is um, Wayne Groundunder. Wayne, <laughs> Wayne Groundunder? <laughs> so so and, and and for righteous reasons this guy was very much like you need to be clean or not righteous reason but what i think he thought was righteous reasons because this place was filled with the oldest fucking people i've ever seen in my life like I'm, perverts around. I'm talking walkers and everything so willie goes up there he starts to kill it and he goes let me ask you guys a question do you mind if i say fuck and he says it to, and this lady's like, no, no, you're funny. Be funny. And he's like, what about all you guys? You mind if I, and everybody's like, no, be cool. We love you. Yeah. And he goes, all right, do me a favor. You see that guy in the back over there? His name's Wayne. He's wearing a Sears, cheap Sears jacket. Turn around and say, fuck you, Wayne. And everybody, all these old people, bro, turn around and go, fuck you, Wayne. And he probably had him do it like three or four times throughout the show. Wayne is turning red, losing his fucking shit yeah. at this point. And he's like, dude, I'm gonna fuck, dude, who the fuck said he could do that? And he's like yelling at me and I'm like, oh fuck. As the show is ending, Wayne is smoldering in the lobby and old people are walking out and these people are in wheelchairs and they're walking by Wayne, putting their fingers there like, fuck you, Wayne. Legend. <laughs> so he starts to beeline it towards Willie. And as he gets close to Willie, the owner of Boomtown steps in. 
puts his hand out, shakes Willie's hand. Best comedy show I ever saw. Do me a favor. I want your personal information. I have a casino in Golden, Colorado that's similar. I want you to perform there. And then, and then he makes Wayne and Willie sit down and have drinks with him. And the whole time, Wayne is losing his shit. Bro. <laughs> Needless to say, me and Willie were never welcome back in Reno after that. Damn, bro. But okay. that's censoring. And that's where that comes from. Like... There was no problems with censorship before radio, before there was like advertisers and stuff like that. You know, there was decency laws, but there was no real restrictions as to what you wanted to do when you wanted to get on stage in vaudeville because there was no real emphasis on it. It wasn't until radio came along and then big sponsors like Ford, Paul Mall, fucking Jello, Comet that were like, you can't say this shit anymore. Westinghouse. Right. And it was like, you can't say this shit anymore. So now we're in a period of time where we're trying to be clean and you have all these showmen like Henny Youngman and like um, like George Burns and Jack hour. Benny doing the Ovaltine Hour. And then now they're and, and with the with with prohibition, with comedy clubs or with clubs going underground, that, clothing. you have some kind of rebellion starting to happen because with that happening with with everything closing down and us being able to work in clubs that were already illegal we were able to, to go back and do our thing again and that's and 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 there's always been this give and take between us and the advertisers and um at at this time the comedy the 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 comedy shows were still with um other acts, right? Magicians and right still, yeah we're right? still not talking about full on straight up like, comedy these shows these are big like uh, variety shows, basically, right. with uh, some hilarious comedian thrown in there that's going to be a star. Right, and there's no headlining comics at this time. Yeah, because I saw a movie with Woody Allen, and he's gonna, about to perform in one of those type of shows. And um, there's a lot of a lot of those tall, really pretty um, showgirls passing by. Right, he's going through his set. Right, and he passes by a guy with a monkey. And he passes by a juggler, and he passes by a guy in a horse. Right. And this is why he's going through his set. Yes. And yes. I imagine and all that chaos is going on. All that chaos. You still gonna remember four minutes and some asshole just scratched one of your jokes. I think we read about this in the uh, the other book that Cliff wrote. Um, I need or uh, what was it called? The Indian one, the Native American one. Uh, there was a real estate problem. The real estate problem. He, there's a little bit of um, information on that where, like, these motherfuckers were bringing horses to shows. Like, they're, like these shows, like, spanned all kinds of stuff. But, yeah, there were horses and there were, um, you know, all kinds of different acts. And you were just the guy that opened up or you emceed. And if there was, like, a famous singer, like, if you, like, like if, as popular as you are now, you wouldn't be headlining. No, you would be opening for like um, uh, like a, a famous singer or something back then, L like D uh, Johnny Mathis or something. And so that's um, that's where where we were at. We still hadn't got. We're not, we're I'll not be even enough for Jenny sixty nine, bro. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Soylent sixty nine, De La Riverside. Oh, is that <laughs> yeah. See, she's big. You know, I would have been, right. been over there. Yeah, so that's who you would be opening for. You wouldn't be, you, nobody would be going like, I want to go see Felipe Esparza tonight. And then you have like two other comics, three other comics in front of you. It's funny how, man, like, you got the radio, you got the radio station producing all these shows, which are now comedy shows because a lot of those shows were just like The Shadow or right. The Lone Ranger. Yeah. Welcome to The Lone Ranger. Yeah! And these people were, people were just, the way Butch and I are talking to you on these microphones, there will be two people doing like three characters each for this comedy sketch. Holding up papers. Holding up papers. Talking to each other. And still getting pinched in the ass by Eddie Cantor. Right. We're still getting... Okay, now we're moving into an, another era now where we bring in a guy named um, Ed Wynn. Okay? Now, Edwin him, in his, himself, not very significant human being, and I know we, he's not a household name now, we don't talk about him, but he was very popular in the live arenas as a comedian, and he got asked to do radio, but he wasn't able to do radio because Why? there was no audience. 
Oh, that's why there was no audience. He couldn't perform without an audience, so he was the first one to bring in a laugh track. Or a laugh track, in, or like a audience. live audience. A live he brought audience in a live audience, radio. but led to the la That's what led to the laugh track. That's right, because they were even though the little booth in the radio station was pretty much as as small as this, but they were bringing an audience of twenty. 30 people. Right. Typically, the booths were very, very small. They were probably as big as like this like little block of area that we're in now. It was the same size room as for an, for an execution. Not much. Yeah. Not much bigger than a bathroom or something like that. And it's very, it's actually, it's actually very, very poetic that it's an execution that you compared it to That's an execution room. It, bro. An execution that gets in the room. And they're behind a they're behind a, uh, glass. a glass window, right? Well, you know, I mean, you, like a lot of movies, like La Bamba, where you see him behind the glass. That's what it was like, stuff like and, that. And then the guy getting an execution, he's right. saying the last speech. People in the audience are sad. He didn't give me a shout out. So now, <laughs> <laughs> what's up, bro? You don't love me no more. Um, see you another life. So they had to build these new studios to fit audience members in them. So that this guy could perform, for, like that's how big Edwin was. Is that that they they restructured um, uh, studios so that they could fit the audience in, and I can't remember the name of the first sponsor, uh, but when the first sponsor came in, they weren't sure because this is all experimental. American oil, probably something like that. And so the guy turned his back during the show to see if Edwin's show would be able to. Uh, would be like listenable, you know. So he went to a live show, turned his back the whole the whole show to see if it was something that that was that was you were able to listen to on a radio. And at the same time, Edwin was taking all this fucking criticism from all these like these comics. They were like just hating on him, and it worked. It totally fucking worked. You know, like, and, and that's why you have TV shows for the longest time. The sitcoms had, like, live audience members or laugh tracks. Yeah. And then, it, then they got rid of the audience, put canned laughs. They put canned laughter in there. <laughs> yeah, it was, just, uh, it was just a track. And for the longest time, I don't know, how many shows did you, do you think you watched where it was fake laughter? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Good Times was uh, not, not a live audience. Yeah, I don't think so either. Unless I told you, El Chavo del Ocho was was taping a live audience. Man, man imagine dude being in, being in a, a kid in a radio, dude listening to this. Like, I remember watching that that movie Christmas Story, and um, the little boy, he's like um, watching, he's listening to his favorite show, The Adventures of Little Orphan Annie. Yes, the Ovaltine Hour presents Little Orphan Annie. And when I was watching Little Orphan Annie. It has nothing Let's to do with stand-up comedy, but I've only seen Orphan Annie the movie. You know how right. she's in an orphanage, and then she's adopted by um, Father Warbucks. You know, yeah, Big Daddy Warbucks, Warbucks or whatever the fuck his name was. And um, that's the movie. It's just one side of Orphan Annie. What I learned from Christmas Story was little orphan, little orphan Annie solve mysteries, bro. Is it really, really? Yeah. It's called The Adventures of Orphan Annie. Oh. She solved mysteries. So bro. the movie that we saw growing up was it's how she became. It was her origins. Origins. It was her origin story. So, ladies and gentlemen, you learned something here from the history for fools. Little Orphan Annie, the movie was her origins. And the one on Christmas Story, Little Orphan Annie, The Adventures. Because that one, um, Little, 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 um, Little, Little. Eye in the sky. Ralphie. R little, little Ralphie, he had the little mystery decoder right. that he got from Ovaltine. Yeah. Don't forget to listen to Orphan Annie to get the secret decoder. And he, when he finally figured out the decoder, the words, when he scrambled the words, it, it read, drink more Ovaltine. Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. And this fool said, <laughs> son of a bitch. And he threw that shit in the trash. Right. And... And his little brother picked it up, very excited. And that's how advertisement works, ladies and gentlemen. They grabbed little Ralphie when he was little, and they kept feeding him Ovaltine. I'm pretty sure that's why Ovaltine was at his house. And he finally realized it was a commercial when he drank, when he saw the decoder, and he said, drink more Ovaltine. He dumped it in the trash, and then his little brother picked it up. And that's the way it's supposed to work. 
Okay, little Ralphie is done. He said, screw Ovaltine, but it's all right. We got his little brother now. He's going to buy Ovaltine shit now. And once he figures out. That's how, that's how evil corporations work. Yeah. That is actually. Because once you grow out of frosted flakes, when you, when you start drinking beer, eh? Right. And then it goes into Budweiser. And then it goes into the Budweiser hour and smoking cigarettes. And it's a Pall Mall hour. Imagine, dude, if one day um, cannabis could be so big that you could be like, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Louis the 13th Hour. <laughs> Cookies presents... Burner and Cookie Hour presents All in a Family. So as we're talking about Edwin, as we're talking about radio, um, and we can't, you know, we, we talk about uh, Eddie Cantor. Eddie Cantor was a guy who brought in a lot of acts. And one of my favorite stories is the uh, Henry... Parker Carcass story. Do you remember this story? Henry Parker Carcass. Yeah, I love this story. I fucking love yeah. this story. So Parker Carcass was some guy that was selling furniture in a local area on radio. and He's Super Dave and Albert Brooks' father, right? Yes, okay. he's Albert Brooks and Super Dave's father. He's a guy named Henry Einstein. But his nickname on the radio and to the day he died apparently was Parker Carcass. Park your carcass. Which means sit your ass down. Sit your ass down, motherfucker. Park your carcass. You better park that carcass. So he would do this act where he would pretend to be like someone who was smart or an expert or a professor or a, dele uh, a delegate from another country. And he would pretend to be this person until the audience figured out he was full of shit. And that was called the put-on. So this is the guy who invented the, the, the act of the put-on. Eddie Cantor comes into town. He's a comic. Everybody's celebrating him. Um, they're having a good time with him. Parker Carcass is kind of a local celebrity. And so they allow him to do uh, an act after. This was before we are opening and stuff like that. So there was no opening for somebody. Eddie Cantor goes up. Then Parker Carcass goes up and he starts making fun of Eddie Cantor. And Eddie Cantor at first thinks he's some guy from Italy or something like that, some like some like president. And like he's like, this guy's awful. He's foul. I don't know how you guys could listen to Eddie Cantor. Eddie Cantor realizes this guy's faking it, thinks it's hilarious, as, as sensitive as Eddie Cantor is, because he would sue people all the time for defamation. He thought Parker Carcass was hilarious. So he brings Parker Carcass in to do his shows, brings him all the way from New York. Now Parker Carcass is one of the biggest deals in in show business he's got his own radio show he's making five thousand dollars an episode he's massive fast forward to now he's one of the biggest comics um or, or one of the not biggest but he's a legendary comic and we're 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 at the friars roast and this is where he he's roasting i can't remember who he's roasting i think it's milton burl or somebody no, it's the Lucille Ball roast. That's what it was. They were roasting Lucille Ball. You know what I love about this stuff, man, is you can listen to this roast on yeah on on YouTube, and you get a really good different version of what comics were like behind closed doors because the roasts weren't TV friendly. They were like really like really down low and dirty. I, and I in the book also, man. These roasts towards the end, there was no audience in there. There was no audience. No, it was just all comics. Just all comics. So he's roasting Lucille Ball, has a good time. His health is not good. And as soon as he sits down from his set, boom, drops dead. And then people, people think that he's, a, he's joking. Right. They think it's a put on. <laughs> yeah, they think it's a put on. So, and that's, a, that's, a, that's, another, that's a, one, of the, one of the horrible comedic deaths because they thought it was a put on. And. The same thing happened to Red Fox. He, he on the set of his show, he was having a heart attack, and, and everybody started laughing. Oh, because he would always do the like. Because that was a real big one this time. This is the time. It's like this is the big one. This is the big one, Esther. Yeah, this is the big one, Esther. And he was do, having a heart attack, but a real one. Wow. And everybody laughed, and then he died. Did you ever hear this story? It's just kind of the same thing, but not as bad. Um, who's the guy? He's a he's a uh, he's a gay dude. He used to do the intros for the improv. Sit down, shut up. Sit down, shut up. Laugh. I know who that is. Todd Glass. Todd Glass. So I heard this is a story that I heard. I don't know if it's true, but Todd Glass would go to these parties with like Louis C.K. and um, 
like all the people from his class back then. Um, what was her name? The girl. Uh, anyway. Janine Garofalo. Uh, no. Jewish chick. Silver Silverman. Silver Silverman. So they're all hanging out, and they the, the, the idea was always to get him high, because he didn't like to get high. And then when he get high, he would start to think he was having a heart attack. And then he would panic, and then they would just laugh at him because he, he wasn't having a heart attack. One time, he did have a heart attack while he was high, and everybody thought he was fucking joking around for the longest time. And then finally, they realized he was having a heart attack, and then they Damn. called the ambulance. What's up, everybody? History for Fools. Bush Escobar. What's up? What'd you think, bro? Would you like it? I did. I loved it. I love it. Comedy man. Bible, baby. Got the comedy Bible, people. Don't forget to follow Bush Escobar. Where we're at? At Bush Escobar on Instagram. Also, a big shout out and a thank you to um, Lisa Esparza and Philip Esparza over here on the wheels of steel producing the show. Yeah, Lisa came in a few um, times to give us some good information that we needed. So. The knowledge in the sky. Thank you, and I'm Felipe Esparza, that's Bush Escobar, and you are watching and listening to History for Fools.